It couldn't have simply boiled down to one man either making or breaking that that um, situation. And what I felt was unfair was that, to a certain extent, King George had been scapegoated. He'd been made like the repository of blame for everything that went wrong. Helen Rappaport is a historian with a specialism in late Imperial Russia. She is the author of over a dozen published books, including the Sunday Times bestseller, Four Sisters, The Lost Lives of the Romanov Grand Duchesses. Helen will be on the literary festival circuit around the country this autumn. If you want to hear her talk more about her latest book, The Race to Save the Romanovs, the truth behind the secret plans to rescue Russia's imperial family, then check her website for details and dates. This includes an evening at Pushkin House on September the 18th, for which a selection of tickets are still available. From the heart of Bloomsbury, London, welcome to the Pushkin House podcast. You're not a royalist or a monarchist. No. What is it about this family, the Romanovs, that captivated you? Because this exploration is almost if more, maybe 10 years of your dedication to this. So what is it about the family that captivated you this time around? Well, when it was first suggested to me by an agent I was with at the time that I should write about the Romanovs because I spoke Russian and I was interested in Russia, I was rather horrified. I said, oh no, I don't want to write a big biography of, say, Nicholas or Alexandra. I've never, ever been interested in the political side of people's lives. I I consider myself to be a social historian who really is interested in often the private lives, you know, the bits from the footnotes that don't necessarily get into ordinary books. And I'd not long done a book on Lenin in exile in which I very much focused on his domestic life and the women in his life, the important women in his life. And what I wanted to do with the Romanos was look at them very much as a family. I'm not interested in the history of czars and monarchs per se. I am interested in what makes them tick and what goes on behind the scenes. And the thing that immediately strikes you with the Romanovs is how incredibly well documented they are photographically. And it's that incredible iconography all those photographs of them as a family, those pretty children, the girls in their white frocks and their big hats. There is this romanticised image of them. And it's very powerful and very seductive. And what I intrigued me, after I've written the first book, Ekaterinburg, about them in the Apartheid House two week, the last two weeks, I thought, I want to understand more about the dynamic of the family, their close family relationships, their devotion to each other, their profound religious faith, how they dealt with those girls, for example, dealt with a sick mother, how all of them dealt with Alexei and his attacks of haemophilia. So basically, I've always approached their story on the intimate, behind-the-scenes level. And I think with time studying the family and then taking their story right through to the dreadful end... I came to admire all of the members of the family for their individual strengths Mm -hmm. rather than their weaknesses. And, for example, Alexei, the the Tsarevich, who was such a spoilt brat, (laughs) and 
which was the product of a very overprotective mother, of course. What is interesting about him as he grows older and towards the very end, you suddenly see a very handsome, interesting, intelligent young man emerging who might, had history been different, have been a good czar. And so it, it's, it's not so much surprises, it's seeing a different angle because Nicholas, of course, is constantly presented as a weak, hopeless, failed monarch. And people trot out all these very condemnatory epithets about him. Then they don't have a good word to say about him. And the thing I think that most impressed me about Nicholas, and it's quite separate from his public life, was the extent to which he was the most devoted family man. He was a totally hands-on parent in the modern sense. You couldn't have wished for a kinder, more loving father who actually always found time for his children. And how many czars and monarchs and kings ever found time for their children? You know, the normal scheme of things, children were, you know, in the, in the, in the nursery with the governess or with their tutors and maybe put their best clothes on to come down to dinner and see mother and father. But the, the, the lovely thing about the Romanov family, I think it's their great strength, was that family life was absolutely central. Being a family, spending time together, praying together, reading together, going out cycling, walking, you know, doing things together... It was a very rounded family life. And I, I think that's quite extraordinary for the times. Well, if there's one question I get asked almost without fail every single talk I do, certainly about the Romanos, but often just about the revolution, it's people jump up and they say, why did King George V betray the Romanos? Why didn't he give them asylum and that being the operative word give or grant them asylum and immediately you hit the rocks of error in that primary assumption which is that it was absolutely not in King George V's gift to grant anyone asylum he was a constitutional monarch he was answerable to parliament he could only advise and ask parliament so therefore the immediate wrong assumption right at the beginning of this story is that George you know went went and said or sent a letter saying come on to England Nicky I'll take you in and look after you it didn't happen George couldn't do that all King George could do out of perfectly understandable cousinly anxiety for his close relatives was ask his government to make an offer to take them in. The other thing people don't know, uh, realize is that the offer when made by the British government to take the Romanovs in was only gonna be for the duration of the war. And that was the only um, circumstances in which they would have agreed to leave that on the knowledge that they could always go back to Russia. So many preconceptions, misconceptions, misinterpretations spring from that very initial assumption, first of all, that George invited them, he didn't, that he sent them a letter saying come to England, he didn't, that it was actually in his power to do so, it wasn't. Mm -hmm. He had to um, abide by what his government's decision was. And of course, the other important factor people don't realise is that British only made the invitation after 
the provisional government, led by uh, Foreign Minister Milyukov of the provisional government, had repeatedly sent requests through the British ambassador in Petrograd, Sir George Buchanan, please, please, please give sanctuary to the Romanovs. They ne we need to get them out of Russia. So the British only made their offer after they had been asked by the Russians. With this book, you extend the parameters of any previously done research. So I wondered if you could just talk a little bit about the practicalities of, of, of writing and researching, because I thought that was... It's very frustrating with any story that has been so mythologised and at times misrepresented to really get back to basics and unpick what happened. But that was what I was determined to do. And I felt the only way I could do justice to a proper re-examination of the whole thing was to absolutely scour for every single shred of evidence I could find. And, and this is the other thing, you've got to think outside the box, you've got to search outside the box. So it meant looking for new material or sources in eight languages. So I went to Norwegian, Danish, Swedish sources with the help of a linguist, because I don't speak those languages, had to in very importantly, look at German foreign ministry records. Russian I can speak, so I, I dealt with Russian sources. There was stuff in French, English, of course, and Spanish, which was absolutely crucial. One of the most important areas of research in this book is, you know, the Spanish monarch, King Alfonso, and his role. And so I had to get a team of people who could translate the languages I didn't know. And even the languages that I did know, I had checked. Without those people, it would have been an impossible task all on my own. And I freely acknowledge them all in the book. Because every work of history, I feel, is in, to an extent a collective effort. Because most historians, I think, have a team of researchers and people who look at particular things for them. You can't do it all alone. I was quite surprised that here in Britain, the anniversary of the 1917 revolution last year, um, so little note, virtually none was taken of the February revolution because when I researched and wrote my book, Caught in the Revolution, I was absolutely swept away by how powerful and visceral that February revolution was. It was a genuine people's uprising, a people's protest. And yet here in the West, there was all this emphasis on October, on Lenin's cynical and expected takeover. And I think it was seen very wrongly here. I think the emphasis should have been on February and far less on Lenin and, and Bolshevik October. And the reason that happened was because they've all fixated on Eisenstein's film. The other anniversary, again, that I feel very passionately about, and again, I think it's been totally underrated here in the West, is the anniversary of the Romanov murders. And people keep talking about it being an execution. It wasn't an execution, they were murdered. They weren't put on trial, didn't have any judicial process, they didn't have legal representation. They were brutally, savagely murdered. People here don't seem to appreciate the significance for many people in Russia and in the wider Russian Orthodox community across the world. This is a very important moment in Russia, I think, because Russian people have a need to come to terms with their past, with the fact that the revolution killed 
their imperial family. Many of them feel it's a sin for which they still need forgiveness. Mm. And I think it's a hugely important spiritual moment in Russia. And for me, it's going to be a very, very powerful event. You've been listening to the Pushkin House podcast. I'm Helen Rappaport, author of The Race to Save the Romanos. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, review and rate the podcast. Thank you.